So this morning, I think actually this morning we're going to do what we have been wanting to do for the last couple of weeks. First of all, thank you so much for asking questions when you have them. You know, one of the great struggles for a teacher is not being asked questions when the students, let's say, are confused or don't have enough information or whatever. We want you to ask questions, all right? We want you to ask questions. Even if we said the same thing 15 times and you didn't get it, we want you to ask. Because there may be some deficiency in our communication that needs to be overcome. For whatever reason, we want you to ask. So, first of all, thank you so much for asking. Amen. We've been talking about the person of God, and we've gone through the attributes, or at least a few of the attributes of God. And then we started talking about the very nature of who God is in himself. That God is one in his essential being. There's only one God. We are monotheistic people. But our monotheism can be stated this way. We believe in a Christian monotheism. A monotheism that believes in and teaches the singleness of God's being. But within the being of God, he exists as three distinct, co-equal, divine persons, each of whom in himself possesses all the essence, all the attributes of divinity, equally and fully in himself, so that God the Father is fully God, how have we said it, in himself, but not by himself. Very important to remember that, because if we don't remember it that way, we begin to Diminish one person over another in relation to what we're seeing in the Bible. And so when we come to our salvation, we begin to think, well, we're saved because Jesus did this. And you're right. And we begin, if we're not careful, at least subtly, to think about something like our salvation as really the work of the Lord Jesus. Right? That's really Jesus' work. The Father and the Holy Spirit. No, but this is really the work of Jesus. Then we talk about the Holy Spirit. And if we're not careful, as we are walking with God, being matured after we're saved, if we're not careful, we will begin to think of the Holy Spirit is really the more important person of the Trinity now in my life because I'm saved. Jesus has done the work, but now it's the Spirit and if we're not careful, 
we don't mean to do this, but practically we are. We are accentuating one person of the Trinity over another. Do we see that? Is that biblically accurate? Is it accurate to accentuate, to assume or think that one person of the Trinity is more important than the others in relation to any particular area of ministry? Do we get the, what I'm saying? Is that right? No, it's not right because each one is equally and forever equally important. So the Father is fully God in himself but not by himself. The Son, fully God in himself but not by himself. The Spirit is fully God in himself, not by himself. This means that, this, that everything that God does is the equal yet distinct activity of each person of the Trinity. One of your children, you have two, three children, let's say. Each one are equally your children, yet in some activities, one is going to be maybe taking the lead in doing something, but it doesn't diminish the other two. So we're going to begin to look at the scriptures, at least in this particular passage of scripture, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14, where we probably see the most definitive outline or presentation of the entire Trinity in our salvation. So that's what we want to begin to look at. And here's what we want to see. What we want to see is that each person of the Trinity is always and fully and continually involved in our salvation but differently involved. Does that make sense to you? So that's what we want to make sure we're looking at as we go through these verses. So let's go ahead. I have this here, and I'll just say it. In Titus, Paul says, God our Savior. Now, when you hear that, God our Savior, let's be honest, what name comes to your mind? Come on, what name? Jesus. Is that wrong? No. The challenge is, however, that when Paul says God our Savior, he is speaking in a Trinitarian way. That God, who he is in himself, Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, is our Savior. So is it incorrect to say we are saved by God the Father? Is that accurate? Yes. We are saved by God the Son. Is that accurate? Yes. We are saved by God the Holy Spirit. Is that accurate? Yes. So what does this mean? This means this, that God the Father is fully involved in every aspect of our salvation, but in a way that the Son is not involved. And then the Son is involved in a way that the Father is not specifically involved. And the Holy Spirit is involved in a way that the Son and the Father are not specifically involved. But all three are fully involved. So in the work of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit are involved in that work. But differently than the work of the Father and for the Son and etc. We'll see that. 
Are we okay so far? Are we okay so far? If you're not, you can shake your hand or raise your hand. It's okay. Shake your head, I suppose, and raise your hand. It's okay. So let's begin to look at this. Paul begins this way. Now, we're talking about Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. He begins, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So you know what an apostle is. An apostle is from apostolos, which is the Greek meaning what? A messenger, one who is sent. The word in and of itself doesn't mean someone who is, you know, greatly gifted or whatever more. It's just one person who's been sent by the authority of another. Here, Ben, I want you to go do this. I'm in charge some kind of way. I have an authority to be able to tell you that. I want you to go down and do this and that and the other thing and give them a message for me. Ben becomes my apostle. He becomes my messenger with a message conveying something that I have the authority to say to do. He's conveying that, correct? That's what an apostle is. Now, in the church, obviously, it begins to have connotations of the work and will of God, but that's for another day. Paul, an apostle, he's one who's commissioned as a person who was officially commissioned as a messenger of God. But look what he says. He's an apostle of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus, of Christ Jesus. Word of is a preposition. It means belonging to. I think that's probably the easiest way to see it, of. Belonging to, in relationship to, submitted to, of Jesus Christ, or belonging to Christ, who has the authority to point Paul as his messenger. So when Paul says, I'm a messenger of Jesus Christ, what is he saying? My authority as a messenger comes from Jesus. Now, where does Jesus get this authority? How do we know Jesus has this authority? Remember in Matthew 20, what is it? 28 verse 18, what does he say? The apostles, the disciples are gathered around. Jesus is about ready to leave them. And what does he say? All authority in heaven and earth is mine. Does he say that? No, no. Be careful. All authority in heaven and earth is mine. Well, look, wait a minute. Wait, wait. We're talking about the son of God here. We're talking about the son who is equal in authority with the father and the Holy Spirit. Do we see this? So if Jesus, the Son of God, is equally authoritative with the Father and the Holy Spirit, well, why does he say, it's been given to me? Do we notice the little words? All authority in heaven and earth has been what? Given to me. He's not talking about his essential authority as divine. He's talking about his Activity authority, his role authority. The authority has been given to me to go and send, I'm sorry, to ascend and to send the Holy Spirit, remember, and to send these men out. Well, if he's been given authority, who gave him that authority, Carolyn? Who? Which God? I mean, which person of God? The Father. Did we see it already? We already begin to see there is a distinction in the roles or activity of the members of the Trinity. 
when Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, someone, Patsy, gave me the authority. Doesn't, doesn't it mean something? So who has given him the authority? Has the Holy Spirit given him the authority? Yes or no? No. Has he claimed the authority for himself? No, we saw that in Philippians 2. He, equality with God, he didn't grasp of that. Who has given Jesus this authority? God the Father has given it to him. That means this, that the Son and the Father are co-equal divine persons with the Holy Spirit. But there is a distinction in which in their union they function differently. The Father then we see right from Jesus' words. In some way the Father is the one from whom all the authority proceeds to the Son and the Holy Spirit to bring us into heaven. So he has authority to appoint Paul. Now, what, look at what he says. He says, Paul, sorry, in 9.15 of Acts, Paul has, let me try to get my mind together on this today. Jesus has all the authority to appoint Paul. Remember when he appointed Paul in Acts 9.15. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this is my man, my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles. You see what it says? It says the Lord appeared to Paul. Now, what is the word Lord? We're going through it very quickly. <clears throat> the Greek word there for Lord is what? Is it in your notes? Kurios. K-U-R-I-O-S. Kurios. It has to do with one who has authority. So right there, we see Jesus being called Lord with the same kind of designation that God the Father is Lord, that the Holy Spirit is Lord. All three are Lord. All three have authority. So in some way, Jesus is exercising the authority that he has been given and given it to Paul to go ahead. And he says, I appoint you. Now, by the will of God, he's been appointed by the will of God. The Father is the source. Let me move ahead. I feel like I'm getting bogged down. Do we understand that? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Two, to whom? The saints who are at Ephesus and who are also faithful in Christ Jesus. So to whom is this letter addressed? This letter is addressed to only one group of people. Who are those people? Who are they? To the saints. Now, let's talk about that a second. We live in a city where the word saint has taken on different connotations and meanings. Correct? So, what is the word saint in the Greek? Every time you see the word saint... In the Greek, and that's New Testament, what word is being used? Do you see it here? H-A-G-I-O-S. Hagios. That's the word that is used for saint. There's not another word used for certain people who are certain types of saints. Every person who has been saved is a saint. Can we get that? Now, how many of you are challenged... When I say, Gail Harrison, how many of you know who Gail is? Where's Gail? Would you raise your hand, Gail? Gail, where are you? 
There, oh, there she is. Now, Gail, li- listen to your heart. Listen a moment to your heart, your feelings. Gail, you're a saint. Uh, you know, how many find out a little bit challenging? Come on, come on. You can raise your hand. It's okay. It's a little bit challenging. Why? Because we have been taught that saints are a very specific category of believers, several notches above other believers who have a status and abilities to access from God what is needed so that these people have some kind of a personal access to God himself. And then if we speak to them and venerate them, we can get from God what we need through them. Are you with me? Is that what this word means? Is that what it means? The word saints in the Greek is hagios. That's the word. It means to be, it means the same thing as the Hebrew word kadesh. Remember the word kadesh? God is holy. K-A-D-A-S-H or E-S-H. It means holy. So the word saint means holy. Now that has two particular uh, um, connotations or meanings or uses. The word holy means in the Hebrew and is picked up in the Greek, one who has been set aside for a particular purpose. God has saved a people for the particular purpose of imaging or manifesting him to the world. We have been taken out of the culture of the world spiritually, not physically yet. And we now have the Holy Spirit living in us so that in the midst of this corrupt world, this is a fallen world, we are those whom God now has given his spirit to produce in us the very moral character and nature of God. So the word Saint Kadesh has two meanings. It means to be set aside for a particular purpose. And what is that purpose? The second meaning, to displace the moral excellency and perfection of our God. So a more challenging question to Gail would be this. Gail, are you holy? Now think about it. Ken, are you holy? He's, hey, 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 hey. Don't jump too fast. It's not, it's, it's not healthy. What? No, no, don't, no, no, no. Don't jump too fast. Be careful. I agree, but don't jump too fast. Are you holy, Ken? Don't listen to what that man said. Are you holy? He said, I'm on the road. Debbie, how many of you know Debbie Lemoyne? Debbie Lemoyne, raise your hand, Debbie. That's Debbie Lemoyne. Could you see her hand? Raise it higher, Debbie. It's okay. 
There's Debbie. Okay. Are you holy? Say it again. I didn't ask that. I said, are you holy? You see, we all want to put equivocating comments in there. We want to add adjectives to it and descriptives and begin to qualify. Linda, are you holy? She said, yes. Look at the, listen to the audacity of that woman. (laughs) Are you holy? We've said that before, so let's settle it. What does it mean to be holy? It means to be as righteous, as morally pure as Jesus himself. It means that we have been literally by God been clothed with the very righteousness of Jesus himself. So that this, so that when God looks at us, when God sees you, and he's seen you what? All the time. Every moment he sees you, Tony. When God sees you, He is seeing you as one of his perfect, I'm going to use this word incorrectly. Hopefully you'll pick it up. As one of his perfectly righteous people. Perfect and righteous in this context, the same thing. Do we see it? This is how God sees you. So our confession, and extremely significant, is to know how God sees us. So Pharaoh, this is a challenge to ask Pharaoh this, you know what I mean? Are you holy? Does God see you? Listen to what I'm going to ask. Listen to what I'm going to ask. Does God see you holy even when you are cantankerous and hard to get along with, contrary to his moral character. Yes. He says, yes. <laughs> Does God see us holy, perfect morally? Does he see you as a holy person, even in the midst of you sinning? Tammy? Uh, Just yes or no. (laughs) No, no, no. Look, look. You see, she's adding things to it that's going to confuse us today. I don't even know what all those words mean. Does God see you? And I'm trying to break through something. I'm not just putting Tammy down. Does God see me even when I am sinning, Ben? Even what you did or thought or wanted the other day, 
does God at that moment still see you as holy? Come on. Yes. If he does not, then he's lied to us. And God is not a man, somebody said to somebody somewhere, that he should what? Lie. I agree with what Tammy's trying to say. But what we need to come to, we certainly need to come to the theological basis and reasons for this. You're absolutely right. But what we need to come to in our living out this life is an unequivocal what? Yes. Not with pride, but with huge humility. Even in the midst of my nastiness, my hatefulness, my grimy thoughts and attitudes, my anger, my jealousies, even in the midst of that, Mike, God sees me as holy. That's a challenge to my mind and my flesh. How many of you are challenged on that? I'm challenged on that. And the struggle here is this. We are not seeing ourselves from the perspective of God's finished work in Christ and about the truth of his declaration that you are my holy people. We're not seeing that either clearly or sufficiently enough. We're allowing that which we see about myself to compete with and to battle against what God has declared. Amen? Do, do you feel it in you? Yes, I'm holy, but you know, what is, why is this important? Because in the midst of and even after you sin, it is significant that we allow the Holy Spirit to cleanse our souls from the pollution of that sin, from the debilitating effects of that sin, so that we can continue to walk in the activity of fellowship with God, maturing or growing, being strengthened moment by moment in our lives. But if we don't see it, what's going to happen is this, that we're going to be somewhat afraid of calling upon the Lord, cleanse me of this. What I just thought was wrong, what I was just doing was wrong, where I'm going is wrong. Father, cleanse me, my soul, my desires, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Cleanse me. Keep my soul unaffected by this. Don't allow it to begin to poison my soul. I'm not talking about my standing before God. I'm talking about that working relationship and fellowship with God. So do you remember? I think one of the best examples of that is is Luke 15. 
You remember Luke 15? This young boy who says, give me my money now and I'm leaving town. All of you, did you see the movie? I mean, did you, you know what I'm talking about. So the father gives the son all the money, you know, his inheritance. And the son goes out and what does he do? He, wild living, wine, women, okay? This guy was getting together with ladies of the night. Then he ran out of money. So he had to hire himself, remember? And finally, when he is eating what? The what? The stuff that pigs eat. He's a Jew. Pigs? Daniel, he's Jewish. He's at the bottom. He has all this pig poop on him. He stinks of pig poop. His breath, his body. He's just grimy. With the pollution. So what does he do? I will arise and go to my father. Remember that? So he starts home. Now, he doesn't stop along the way to take a bath. Did, did you notice that, Giselle? Happy birthday, Giselle. Happy birthday. Did you notice that he didn't stop to take a bath? He went where? Right home. How could he do this? How could he do it? Many of us would be scared to death to get go home because what? This man's going to beat the boomba out of me. I'm going to be in very deep trouble. What allowed him? I will arise and go to my what? I will arise and go to my what? Father. Make sure you listen to the words that the Holy Spirit is telling us. My father. What does that say about his relationship? This is a man who is receiving of and walking even in the pig poop, in the good of his sonship. Are you here today? How can that be? Because you see, the father's forgiveness is greater than the son's sin. Romans 5.20. Write it down and look it up. The father's forgiveness is greater than the son's sin. Romans 5.20. Look it up. That's what Paul was talking about there. <laughs> and the father, sitting at home, thinking, Man, search your hearts. Man, and it may be your son, your daughter, it may be your friend, it may be your mom and them, it may be someone in the church, it may be a pastor, an elder, it may be somebody. Man, and he's really disappointed. I just go, and we go through all these. Oh, you're with me. Hmm? You hear it in you? The father's not doing that. The father has one overwhelming desire and it's this come home 
come home. I want you to come home. Every day, the man is on the hillside looking for his son to do what? To pay the money back? You've embarrassed me. You've disappointed me. You've wounded me. The father didn't make it about himself. Come home. You see, you can't do that when it's about you, can you? Come home. And when you look at 815, Luke 15, it says, and the father, seeing what? Come on. The son, what? Far off. Far off. My son. So he stands on the hilltop waiting for him. Come on, man. We got some stuff to talk about, you and me. I know it's not grammatically correct, but that's what the father said. Dude, we got stuff to talk about, babes. You've been wrong. We had to clarify that. We had to get to the bottom of this. Do you hear me? Do you hear you? Why am I doing this? I don't know. Hopefully someone in here needs this. I need it regularly. But that's not where the father is, is it? Is his attitude. Oh, well, the father just doesn't know that the son has sinned. Because you see, when this father looks at his son, he just doesn't see the sin. Because forgiveness means forgetfulness. Do you really believe that? It says, and I will forgive their sin in Jeremiah 31. What? I will remember their sin. What? No more. The father sees this stinky, nasty filth coming in the physical he sees this rebellious boy coming home. But he doesn't act in a way that holds that sin against his son. Are you listening today? Robert, Bob, not one, not one of those sins. Right, Todd? Not one. Why? Because he's my son. We're called the sons of God. It's a term boys and girls, men and women. Sons of God. And the father takes that long robe and he pulls it up and wraps it around, you know, ties it up. And that old man runs down the hill. And what does he do? I'm so glad to see you home. Let's just talk about this for a minute. We need to go over some of the details before you come back into my house. I want you to know how this has affected me, Mike. See, Bogdan, this, is, this has been damaging to my reputation. And Oh, I love you, brother, but... That's a hell of a thing to say. May I say it that way? I love you, but. 
and no buts with God. And what does he do? What does this Jewish man do when his son gets near enough to him? This son who is reeking of pig poop. Somebody tell me what the first thing the dad does. Say it again. Say it a different way. Say it another way. He kisses him. He kisses him. Are there people in my life and in your life that you are willing to or able, not able, willing to kiss before you get the issues worked out? See, when Paul says saints, do you see the enormity of that word? Hmm? The enormity of that word. Are we saints? And it doesn't say anything about us, but it says everything about our Father. Doesn't it? He embraced him. He kissed him. He hugged him. Then what did he do? He covered over that activity of sin with his own robe. And then what does he do? Take my signet ring. What is that? Authority. See, because the son has left all that. He's coming back. And put on him what? Shoes. Now, all that means something, but we won't do that today. This, my son, remember to the response, was what? Lost, but is now that. Lost doesn't mean unsaved. It's not a, that's not a, this is not a salvation thing. This, my son, who was lost, is not what? He's back home. He's back home. Are you a saint? If you're a saint, raise your hand. Let God see it. Raise your hand. It's okay. And since we are saints, the way God sees us and responds to us and treats us is manifested in that old man in Luke 15. Now, there, that's the status. We're not talking about the walking it out after he's home. You understand that? Because guess what? How many of you believe that that total, absolute, unequivocal, unquestioning, uncondemning forgiveness, how many of you know it costs the father something? Hmm? Does it cost you something to forgive someone who has done something against you? Anybody? It's a struggle. It's a struggle. And these people are faithful, Paul says. Faithful in Jesus Christ. Why are they faithful? Because they are living in him 
who is the faithful one. Amen. Our faithfulness is but a manifestation of the absolute faithfulness of the Son of God to the Father's will at the absolute worst cost that could ever be imagined. He goes to the cross. Remember Philippians 2.8. And as a result of that, what happens? Wherefore also God has, what? Highly exalted him and has given him a name, which is above what? Every name. What's the rest of it? So that at the name of Jesus, what? Every what? Knee shall bow in things in heaven, on earth, and underneath the earth. What else? And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Is that the end of it? Here's the reason. Here's the end purpose. For the glory of God the Father. You can see in your notes the rest of it here. I think it would be okay. But I want you to do this. We're going to begin next week with verse 3 and go through 14 over the next few weeks, I suppose. I want you to see one word and make sure you get it. Underline it or circle it in the verses 3 to 14. The word I-N, it's a preposition. In the Greek, it has its E-N in the Greek. And I'll give you this. The word E-N in the Greek can be either what they call, what is called locative or instrumental. It can be either in the location of or by the instrumentality of. Sometimes it just means one. But in these verses, I believe it means both together. Everything God does. May I repeat that as I close? What did I just say, Steve? Everything God does is done within the context of Christ. Nothing from the very beginning, Genesis 1-1, to the very end and all eternity. God does nothing outside of or independently of in Christ. Everything is in Christ. Now, I know I haven't said it's the Holy Spirit, but he's coming along. So next week, let's get back together and let's go through the rest of it.